Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Wednesday, December the 19th, 2018. It's 8 a.m. New York time, 5 a.m. Los Angeles time, 1 p.m. in London, and in Sydney, Australia, it's 12 midnight. Wherever you are around the world tuning in, thank you very much for spending the next hour with us. We appreciate it because we love sharing our Daily Dose of Happy with as many listeners as we can. And uh, we also remind you, make sure that you save on social media the fact that you're listening in so that people you know can find out about the Daily Dose of Happy. And uh, I just <clears throat> I keep coming back to the same theme over and over again every time, Cindy, but it's always, can you imagine what happens when you have millions and millions of people getting their Daily Doses of Happy? And it, it just it fills me up every time I do it, so I think that's why I keep coming back. But how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. It reminds me of... What we talked about yesterday, persistence. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of persistence yeah. going on here. I think I told you I um, I, I found a video on YouTube of, of an audience applaud, applauding, so that's become my vignette for 10,000 or more people becoming listeners and you know, ultimately hundreds of thousands and millions of people becoming listeners. And I'm enjoying playing the vignette over and over again. Actually, it's a good ego stroke. You see all those people applauding, <laughs> right? <laughs> hey. It's funny. <laughs> Applause, <clears throat> and I was noticing while um, subjecting myself to this applause <laughs> that uh, as as you get past all the ego thing and you start settling into it and start feeling um, feeling comfortable in it, that I, I can already tell that's where the hardening takes place. Neville talks about how when you really keep focusing on what you want and play that vignette, play that little uh, scene in your mind over and over again and make yourself a part of the scene that it hardens into reality over time. And you can feel it when you're doing it. Right. When, you, when, you're, when you're doing yes. the exercise, you can actually feel it starting to harden a little bit here, a little bit there. It's just getting a little bit firmer, a little bit more believable. It's good. It's a cool thing. Yeah. you start. Don't you think you start feeling like comfortable with it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it it's starts, like, it's like it becomes secondhand. It's like part of who you are now. Right, exactly. It reminds me of anything else that's new, like you get a new job and the first, you know, weeks that you're there when you come in, you're the new person and right. you don't really know where anything is and you say hello, but it's like over time suddenly you're very very comfortable. Exactly. It's like home, right? And yes. it's, it's like that. It's just it takes time and practice and pretty soon it just feels so natural and right. And then that, that's the fun part because that's when you start seeing the evidence show up in, you know, in the 3D reality world. <laughs> that's awesome. Absolutely. Yay. Yeah. Um, so exciting. I'm also finding that uh, our studying of Neville is influencing my thought process in other ways, too. Um, for instance, you know, I, I interact with people on Facebook, um, people who are in, entering into the law of attraction groups and bringing up issues, bringing up concerns, you know, stuff they're dealing with and so forth. And there was one person I responded to. I, I can't even remember what their topic was, but I responded to them. And somebody responded to me saying, well, um, you know, well, everything isn't right. There's right and wrong and there's sin and all that. And, and I immediately thought Neville's definition of sin. And I came back with, well, you know, here's what the original definition of sin is. <laughs> Yay. That's really one of my favorites because I think that's, life-changing when you get a hold of that absolutely it's, you know there's not all this condemnation it's just missing the mark just, just missing aim the mark and shoot again you know? boy does that make it so much <laughs> of a lighter concept too i mean now yeah. all of a sudden you can you can handle the concept and you can you can use it to your benefit i think that's my my biggest objection to the way it often gets used misused i can now say is that Okay, you define sin as as being you know horribly immoral. Well, then what do you do with it? There's nowhere to go. <laughs> You're just down. You know, there, there's there's no there's no improvement from all that. So the only hope you have is to be saved, and and now all the power has been taken away from you. Whereas right, with this approach, now all of a sudden the the, the power is returned to us because all we got to do is just change the aim. Oh, okay, I can handle that. Right, and you know, it's like there's there's none of that heavy weighty. Yes. Guilty condemnation that says you're wrong and you're bad and right. you know shift. There's a lot of shame in that and oh yeah. And I I like to think about that same kind of uh, transmutation, if you will, around emotions because even in or maybe especially in some law of attraction circles, you know, we tend to beat ourselves up if we have an emotion that's uncomfortable. 
oh, I'm doing this wrong or I'm, I'm feeling depressed, so that must mean there's something wrong with me or I'm not doing the law of attraction right or whatever. I'm feeling sad. So, you know, and instead it's like, no, it's just an emotion. Mm-hmm. Just aim and shoot again. That's it. <laughs> That's exactly it. Hit the target. What what target do you want to hit? Oh, I want to feel better. Okay. Two for that target. It's it's just lighter. <laughs> it is. Thank you, Neville. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Neville. We appreciate it. And uh, by the way, we actually have a con- uh, question before we've hardly even gotten started here. Uh, but Nasha, who's, of course, one of our regulars, is asking, lately I've been sleeping a lot. Does it have anything to do with my subconscious healing? Which is an interesting thought. I had never really thought about sleep as being a way of healing the subconscious, but I suppose it is. I mean, what do you I think? I think sleep heals a lot of things. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, that it, when we're in that particular um, REM rhythm and the, the brain waves are doing their thing, uh, there's a, a particular place where we are, where it's a deep sleep that is often called or referred to as a healing sleep. Mm. Okay. I mean, that's when our body really can use, you know, it makes sense, right? Because the energy that, that our body's producing, we're often, we're often spending that energy doing things, running around, getting mm-hmm. things done, I mean, and being awake. So when we're right. asleep, we're still producing energy, but then that energy can be used for healing Mm. subconscious healing um i mean i don't know why not sure (laughs) yeah i mean everything else rejuvenates through sleep so why not the subconscious mind too especially since this uh i mean there are lots of different theories about what's going on in the subconscious neville has actually a different theory from what abraham suggests but it all pretty much adds up to the same thing that the the subconscious mind is getting stuff out how can that not be healing i know that you know studies show that it's so funny. At one time I thought, well, you know, you go to sleep and your brain just kind of, you know, turns off, just vegges out, you know, mm-hmm. you sleep. That's not true at all. Like our brain is more active when we're sleeping sometimes mm-hmm. than when we're awake. Like a lot of things get, once I realized that, I started, um, anytime I'd have a problem or, not, I don't want to say problem like something going wrong, it could be that, but most of the time it's a, it was a creative thing. Like mm-hmm. I was trying to, Right. Think of something, some creative way uh, to do the next project I was doing, or I had some kind of little puzzle I was working on, and I still do this to this day. I will tell myself, instead of laying there and thinking about it and keeping myself awake, I will tell myself before I go to sleep, okay, brain, this is what I need you to work on. <laughs> I, need, I need to have, uh, you know, this... Like sometimes I'm I'm a writer, so sometimes I need a topic to write on, mm. and I'll be like, okay, brain, I don't want to think about this anymore. When I wake up in the morning, uh, you're gonna have a topic for me, or you're gonna have a title for me for the book or the article or you know whatever it is. Sure. And so many times I wake up and I've got the answer. So I just let the let the brain work on that while I'm sleeping. <laughs> And Nasha's actually giving us some credit because she followed up by saying, yes, since I had a breakthrough on the show, I've been sleeping deep, very, very deep, and I have a sleeping disorder. I was told I was being cured subconsciously amid amid such deep sleep. Well, congratulations to you. Fantastic. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Whoa. Way to go. That's wonderful. Yeah. All right. So... All right. Well, we're going to be uh, talking more about Neville today, and we left off in a great chapter yesterday because we, we were now up to a chapter where we're telling Neville stories. And you know what I feel about Neville stories or any kind of stories. I love stories. I think most people love stories. But stories, in my opinion, are like the best way to understand things. Because if you if you hear it explained to you, you know, explaining, you, you, you can often pick up what it is that someone's talking about. But when it's told to you in a story, it sticks, you know, kind of like what we were talking about with the subconscious mind. It sticks in the mind and it just stays there. And if it's a good story, it reinforces something that you want to have reinforced. So, I mean, I love stories for that reason. I do too. And I, I particularly love Neville stories because most of them, or maybe all of them that I've read, um, the person telling the story often gives an example of the little scene that they developed for themselves. Right. 
and, and it's nice to hear the way other people come up with things, um, little scenes, vignettes, we like to call them, to, to do this work. It gives us ideas of how to do it. I mean, I think Neville does a good job with explaining it, but when it, when it comes from someone who's actually used it and been successful using it, I don't know. There's something about that. It's like, well, it's reinforcing. Really awesome. It's assuring. It, it, it reassures yeah. us that, yeah, this actually does work and that helps. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm excited too. Uh, I've been excited since yesterday morning. <laughs> I think I told you after the show, oh, we don't, I don't do an afternoon. Don't, don't have afternoon, afternoon, right. <laughs> and actually, it's kind of funny. I had a client in my office yesterday and we were winding up uh, a session. And I, I still had one of my tabs open on the computer with the Neville chapter that we had been in. Ah. So just on a lark, I looked up at the at the place we're going to start today, actually, this next story that we're going to start with today. And I just started reading it. And I hadn't read it prior, so I didn't know what it was going to say or where it was going to lead to. I just started reading it to my client. And it was funny because some of the things in this story were pretty close to some things we had just discussed. Oh my. So wow. Like strikes again. Yeah. No kidding. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, yesterday we had someone Deirdre shared in the chat said, have you ever heard this story about Neville? And yes. Said, oh, no. that was great. <laughs> story, and it was like, Oh wow. That was a fantastic story. Five minutes later, or later we're reading the same story. And it's the same story. It's so great. That was funny. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. It was. So, so let's, so let's do it. Would you like to take care of our announcements before we dive in? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, time. we can do that. I mean, we kind of started at the beginning of the podcast, but we'll do it again. Absolutely. We want people who are not yet subscribers of the podcast to become subscribers. We've got links in almost every place where uh, this particular either live stream or recording is placed, and if you look in the description, you'll see links. Um, if you don't see links on those rare occasions where we forget to put them in, just go to the homepage of our website, loatoday.net, and you'll find a great big icon for Apple users and another great big icon for Android users. That'll pretty much cover most everybody. Just click the right one for whatever device you're using, and it'll just walk you right through the process of becoming a subscriber. And then, most important, make sure that you listen to the podcast when they come through, because they'll come streaming right to your phone each time that we publish them. And share on social media the fact that you're listening, because that sharing makes a huge difference. I mean, it, it's law of attraction in action. You're putting out there, I want more and more people to have daily doses of happy, and Facebook will help make that happen, as will the law of attraction. So you've most likely found out about us through social media. You know, spread the word, pass it along, help other people find out about it. Let's get everybody into a place where they're experiencing their daily doses of happy. And uh, finally, feel free to contact us uh, either through the live stream or by uh, our website or send me an email, walt at LOAToday.net, or contact uh, one of me or my co-hosts through, through the social media channels. But contact us. Let us know what you're thinking. Ask us questions. Share your thoughts and feelings because we'll share them on the show. And uh, uh, we, we've even had uh, particular people, Cindy, who have sent in a question and were blown away because we spent the entire show answering their questions. So it really does work. We really do answer the questions. Yeah, we do. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, and it's wonderful to get those questions. We've oh, it is. We've talked about this before, but, some, you know, when we get a bunch of people together, there's a reason why we call that a mastermind, because there's this thing that happens when you're brainstorming together that doesn't usually happen when you brainstorm by yourself, and that is the combination of, of minds and energy. So we love it when you ask questions and give us ideas, tell us what you want us to talk about. It's great. So, yeah, please do that. And by the way, we have, a, we have a couple more um, interesting wins and comments to talk about. Shireen says, I am with my kids, and I can say I am happy, even if the cost of treatment is very high, so I am happy and taking it one day at a time. Good for you, Shireen. That's good. Very good. Yeah, that's pivoting. That's, that's good pivoting. Very, very well done. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and Deidre says, yes, my nephew has been having a very hard time lately, and I shared Neville's stories with him, and I actually caught my nephew dancing from being so happy. He asked if we could talk about Neville often, and I was thrilled. How about that? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff. Yes. Good stuff. So. I think I've, I've told you this before, but I remember 
years ago, one of my earliest mentors was talking about energy levels and said to me, you know, if you want to resonate at a certain level of energy, and we're not talking about energy like get up and go energy, like the Energizer Bunny kind of energy, right. but we're talking about energy such as what we find on the emotional scale, mm -hmm. right? So the, the lowest levels of energy when we're feeling down or depressed or right. like a victim, and then the highest levels of energy at the top of the scale, we're feeling joyful and passionate and all the levels in between. And it, w it was very simple advice. It was like, read books that resonate with that level of energy, hang yeah. out with people that resonate with that level of energy, you know, um, tell stories about the things that happen at that level, whatever it is. And so that's what we're doing with Neville. And you can see that result with your nephew dancing and being happy. Absolutely. More. It's contagious. Yeah, <laughs> it sure is. Nothing as contagious as joy and happiness. That's for sure. So we're ready to dive in. We, we are, Working our way through, we're on Chapter 23 of The Power of Awareness by Neville. And this chapter's title is Case Histories, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. So here we go with Case History Number 2 in this chapter. Uh, this is the striking story of an extremely successful businessman demonstrating the power of imagination and the law of assumption. I know this family intimately. And all the details were told to me by the son described herein. The story begins when he was 20 years old. He was next to the oldest in a large family of nine brothers and one sister. The father was one of the partners in a small merchandising business. In his 18th year, the brother referred to in this story left the country in which they had lived and traveled 2,000 miles to enter college and complete his education. Shortly after his first year in college, he was called home because of a tragic event in connection with his father's business. Through the machinations of his associates, the father was not only forced out of his business, but was the object of false accusations impugning his character and integrity. Mm. At the same time, he was deprived of his rightful share in the equity of the business. Whoa. The result was he found himself largely discredited, and almost penniless. It was under these circumstances that the son was called home from college. He returned, his heart filled with one great resolution. He was determined that he would become outstandingly successful in business. The first thing he and his father did was to use the little money they had to start their own business. They rented a small store on a side street not far from the large business of which the father had once been one of the principal owners. There, they started a business bent upon real service to the community. It was shortly thereafter that the son, with instinctive awareness that it was bound to work, deliberately used imagination to attain an almost fantastic objective. Every day, on the way to and from work, he passed the building of his father's former business, the biggest business of its kind in the country. Wow. It was one of the largest buildings with the most prominent location in the heart of the city. On the outside of the building was a huge sign on which the name of the firm was painted in large, bold letters. Day after day, as he passed by, a great dream took shape in the son's mind. He thought of how wonderful it would be if it was his family that had this great building, his family that owned and operated this great business. One day, as he stood gazing at the building, in his imagination, he saw a completely different name on the huge sign across the entrance. Now, the large letters spelled out his family name. In these case histories, actual names are not used. For the sake of clarity in this story, we will use hypothetical names and assume that the son's family name was Lordered. Where the sign read F.N. Moth & Company, in imagination, he actually saw the name Letter by letter, N. Lordered and Sons. He remained looking at the sign with his eyes wide open, imagining that it read N. Lordered and Sons. Twice a day, week after week, month after month, for two years, he saw his family name over the front of that building. He was convinced that if he felt strongly enough that a thing was true, it was bound to be the case. And by seeing in imagination his family name on the sign, 
which implied that they owned the business, he became convinced that one day they would own it. Mm -hmm. During this period, he told only one person what he was doing. He confided in his mother, who with loving concern tried to discourage him in order to protect him Aww. from what might be a great disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> and just a, a side note, we've often talked about that. Oh, the yeah. The idea that, you know, tell people who support you in what you're doing. Because when they don't, and they love you, this is what happens, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they worry about you, and they try to discourage you sometimes. Yeah, it's good to be selective. Okay, so, yeah. Despite this, he persisted day after day. Two years later, the large company failed, and the coveted building was up for sale. On the day of the sale, he seemed no nearer ownership than he had been two years before when he began to apply the law of assumption. During this period, they had worked hard, and their <clears throat> and their customers had implicit confidence in them. However, they had not earned anything like the amount of money required for the purchase of the property, nor did they have any source from which they could borrow the necessary capital, making even more remo remote their chance of getting it was the fact that this was regarded as the most desirable property in the city, mm. and a number of wealthy business people were prepared to buy it. Uh -huh. On the actual day of the sale, to their complete surprise, a man, almost a total stranger, came into their shop and offered to buy the property for them. Wow. Due to some unusual conditions involved in this transaction, the Sons family could not even make a bid for the property. They thought the man was joking. However, this was not the case. The man explained that he had watched them for some time, admired their ability, believed in their integrity, and that supplying the capital for them to go into business on a large scale was an extremely sound investment for him. That very day, the property was theirs. Wow. What the son had persisted in seeing in his imagination was now a reality. The hunch of the stranger was more than justified. Today, this family owns not only the particular business referred to, but owns many of the largest industries in the country in which they live. <laughs> the son, seeing his family name over the entrance of this great building, long before it was actually there, was using exactly the technique that produces results, by assuming the feeling that he already had what he desired, by making this a vivid reality in his imagination, by determined persistence, regardless of appearance or circumstance, he inevitably caused his dream to become a reality. Great story. Oh, fabulous. Not the least <laughs> of which is because yesterday's chapter was persistence. Now, that's what we're right. talking about. And here's a, two years, two straight years, not giving up every single day, visualizing that sign in front of that building, the building that his family had once owned that had been their business and had been taken away from them. And visualizing that that they would get that building back. And they did. Wow. What a great story. Oh, my goodness. So here's an interesting thing that stands out for me about persistence and about this story. And that is that I'm assuming because it said he walked by it, right? Right. And I'm assuming that he was walking to work and walking probably back yeah. from work, right? So twice a day he walked by it. And so the thing that stands out to me is that there's an idea that, environment trumps intention yeah right yeah. and what that means is that you know no matter how much we want to do a certain thing if we don't have our environment set up for it it usually doesn't happen right it's like i'll give you an example my mother was a tailor and so she taught me how to sew when i was young mm -hmm. and i really can sew pretty much just about anything wow but i don't have a sewing room in the house I live in. And so that means if I want to sew, I have to get the sewing machine out. I have to lift it up and put it onto the table. I have to get all the fabric out and, and the things that I need. So how often do you think I ever sew? <laughs> <laughs> I think you just because, told us. <laughs> right? Because the my environment trumps that intention I have to sew. Right. Now, if I had a sewing room, an environment where the sewing machine was already set up and everything was already laid out and I could just walk right in and begin my project, I'd probably sew all the time. And so his environment was that he walked by this building. So he didn't have to go out of his way to see it because the story tells us he's looking at it 
with his open eyes and he's imagining the name on the building. That's why I think this the idea of getting into the habit of doing this exercise, not the only time, but at least every day when we fall asleep, because most of us do go to bed and go to sleep every day. Mm-hmm. And so if we become in, like he was in the habit of passing by the building and that's when he did this work. Yeah, that's right. That's true. So if we will, if we will create, you know, ways to do this work where our environment isn't trumping the intention we have to do the work, right? <laughs> where we make it easy for ourselves. I think it's, it's, you know, going to happen. And then the other thing that really stood out is the idea of the, the man that was almost, it says almost a total stranger came in and bought yeah. his property for them. Whoa. And that he had been watching them. Yeah. He said, I've been watching you and I've noticed, you know, your excellent work and I've noticed your integrity and I've been paying attention. And, and so you never know who's watching. Exactly you never right. Know who might pop in and say, hey, you never know when you might get an email that says, hey, you want to do a podcast? Absolutely. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And it happens. It happens more frequently than people might realize. Right. So it's so important for us to remember that there are a whole bunch of people in the world and that we don't know where the opportunities are going to come from. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we experience it in Louise's gardening business every year. This past year, I can remember uh, somebody who called in, I think it was uh, late August. Uh, he said that he, literally he had been watching us for the last four or five years. Exactly the same wow. thing. He had been watching us for four or five years and uh, was impressed by what he had seen. He, he was impressed by the work that we had done. And he finally decided that we were the ones to come do his gardening for him. Amazing. Same thing. See, yeah. that's so fantastic. Yeah, I love hearing that. And it it so, happens a lot. I mean that that's what that's what word of mouth is. People talk about word of mouth where a local business is concerned, and that right. that's your best source of business, and it's true. But what you have to understand is the way word of mouth works is people have to see what you're doing. They have to be aware right. of you, and when they're aware of you, then they talk about you to others, and they ask about what's going on, and they're they're watching and they're looking and they're they're. They're kind of keeping tabs on you. That's where word of mouth comes from. And that's how, you know, I do believe that sometimes, you know, we can, uh, and I think Neville would agree with this, we can go into our, Neville would probably call it a prayer closet, right? But we can go into our isolated place and we can meditate and we can focus on something and have it happen. And I also know that sometimes letting people know what it is that we're wanting um, is important too. So we have to be selected because you know we this this person told their mother and their mother right. <laughs> worried that that it wouldn't happen and they'd be disappointed. So she tried to discourage him. Then I think of like Anne Marie's story in the piano. She told yep. everyone, everyone, everybody, that they needed a better piano, that's like right. on a consistent basis. And lo and behold, someone provided someone one. Someone provided. Them. Yeah, that's who true. Who never would have, who never would have known if she wouldn't have been open about it. So it's that's one of those things I think you follow your, your gut instinct about. Deidre gave us a little more details about the story we just told. She said, I heard the lecture Neville gave in which he told that story to his audience. He admitted it was his brother Victor who did the things described in the story. It was the Goddard family name that Victor imagined on the building. And, <laughs> and by the way, the Goddard family business at that time was still in operation at the time that Neville gave that lecture, so... Pretty cool. <laughs> well, I, I had a feeling when he said, um, I'm intimately involved with yes, family. Right. I was like, yeah, your family. And then he takes the name of Robert. Thank you for confirming that detail. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> That's Is funny. there anything else that stood out to you about that story, Walt? I mean, there has to be more. That's enough. There's a lot that we just discussed. That was huge. The guy who comes out of nowhere saying he's been watching the company and watching the family <laughs> all these years and says, I'm going to invest in here. Like, and on the day that they that the building was ready to be sold, it's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> right? Amazing. Absolutely okay, amazing. Are you ready to dive into the next story? Yeah, let's do it. This is the story of a very unexpected result of an interview with a lady who came to consult me. Oh. One afternoon, a young grandmother, a businesswoman in New York, came to see me. She brought along her nine-year-old grandson, who was visiting her from his home in Pennsylvania. In response to her questions, 
I explained the law of assumption, describing in detail the procedure to be followed in attuning, in attaining an objective. The boy sat quietly, apparently absorbed in a small toy truck, while I explained to the grandmother the method of assuming the state of consciousness that would be hers were her desire already fulfilled. I told her the story of the soldier in camp, who each night fell asleep imagining himself to be in his own bed in his own home. I think that's Neville's story that we read yesterday. Probably, right? yeah. When the boy and his grandmother were leaving, he looked up at me with great excitement and said, I know what I want, and now I know how to get it. Surprised, I asked him what it is he wanted, and he told me he had his heart set on a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> to this, the grandmother vigorously protested, oh, no. telling the boy that it had been made clear repeatedly he could not have a dog under any circumstances, that his father and mother would not allow it, that the boy was too young to care for it properly, and furthermore, the father had a deep dislike for dogs. He actually hated to have one around. Oh, dear. All these arguments, the boy pa passionately desirous of having a dog, refused to understand. <laughs> now I know what to do, he said. Every night, just as I'm going off to sleep, I'm going to pretend that I have a dog and we are going for a walk. No, said the grandmother. That is not what Mr. Neville means. This was not meant for you. You cannot have a dog. <laughs> it sounds like green eggs and ham. <laughs> I love this paragraph. Approximately six weeks later, the grandmother told me what was to her an astonishing story. The boy's desire to own a dog was so intense that he had absorbed all that I had told his grandmother of how to attain one's desire, and he believed implicitly that at last he knew how to get a dog. Putting this belief into practice, for many nights, the boy imagined a dog was lying in his bed beside him. In his imagination, he petted the dog, actually feeling its fur. Things like playing with the dog and taking it for a walk filled his mind. Wow. Within a few weeks, it happened. A newspaper in the city in which the boy lived organized a special program in connection with Kindness to Animals Week. All school children were requested to write an essay on why I would like to own a dog. After entries from all the schools were submitted and judged, the winner of the contest was announced. The very same boy who weeks before in my apartment in New York had told me, now I know how to get a dog, was the winner. In an elaborate ceremony which was publicized with stories and pictures in the newspaper, the boy was awarded a beautiful collie puppy. In relating this story, the grandmother told me that if the boy had been given the money with which to buy a dog, the parents would have refused to do so and would have used it to buy a bond for the boy or put it in the savings bank for him. Furthermore, if someone had made the boy a gift of a dog, they would have refused it or given it away. But the dramatic manner in which the boy got the dog, the way he won the citywide contest, the stories and pictures in the newspaper, the pride of achievement, and the joy of the boy himself, all combined to bring about a change of heart in the parents, and they found themselves doing that which they never conceived possible. They allowed him to keep the dog. Wow. All this the grandmother explained to me, and she concluded by saying that there was one particular kind of dog on which the boy had set his heart. It was a colleague. Of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what I a great this story. story. This is such a great story. That Yay. is fabulous. The, I the, want to bring something up. Go ahead. Uh, that, that's in the story that we, we talk about a lot, and I think it's important to remind ourselves, and that is when we, when we create these scenes in our mind, in our imagination, that it's really important to get your senses involved. When we talk about assuming the feeling of the wish, we're not just talking about, you know, the joy of accomplishment or happiness we would feel. We're talking about feeling like he was petting the dog, feeling its fur, sensing it lying there next to him, uh, taking it for a walk. So I'm imagining he could feel the dog's lead in his hand and feel his feet on the pavement and hear the dog, you know, barking or whatever. Get your feelings, get your senses involved. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, uh, the, the other thing that I took away from it is the story reminds me of a story we often hear, uh, or, or at least we hear the, the, the first part of the story told in uh, the Facebook groups on Law of Attraction. It's the story of the person who wants to get their ex back. And they, they, they want to get the ex back. They want to do whatever it's going to take to get the ex back. And... Uh, they're asking for help to do that. 
And so many of us, myself included, remind them, well, you know, the ex has to actually be willing to agree to this. This has to be something that the ex wants. Um, you, you can't force the ex to want to have you, have you back like you want to have them back. Um, but you can certainly put out there and attract and, and you know, if, if the ex is open to it, well, you know, then it can happen. And this is a perfect story of that. It isn't, it isn't an ex, it's parents. Parents who said vociferously, determinedly, there is no way we're going to allow to have that dog to, uh, to allow that, that boy to have a dog. It's just not going to happen. We don't like dogs. We don't, we don't, we right. can't stand having dogs around. And as long as they were going to hold that mindset, then the dog couldn't possibly come into the boy's life. But, and this is the really important part of it, once they were willing to, uh, to change their mindset, it came in easily. And it happened because of the pure faith of the boy that, yes, I'm, I'm going to have this dog one way or another. I don't know how. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm just believing in it. I'm going to pet the dog. I'm going to play with the dog. And I'm going to do exactly what Neville said to do. And to me, that's you know what that, I love about it too is that it, he was a child. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? So he wasn't, you know, he he had a lot of limitations as far as you know. It wasn't like an adult would say, "Okay, I'm going to save up X amount of money. Uh, I'm going to go look in the paper for dogs that are for sale, or go to a pet store, or find a, a dog breeder." Right? You know, all these plans. He couldn't do any of that because he was a child and because he had been told no. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. So this was like, I love that he got so excited yes. when he was with his, you know, grandmother listening and he said, oh, I know how I'm going to do it now. Like, I know, now I know how to get a dog. This is how. And this was work he could do. Like, he could do the imaginal work. Absolutely it is. And that's the And he had no choice but to let it all just happen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There was exactly. no planning the house. It was just, I'll do this part and it's going to happen. I think it's amazing and and i think the big lesson here is this is something that the people who want the exes back can really learn from it which is the ex the people who want the exes back are looking for a magic trick to like trick the, the, the ex to come back the boy wasn't right. looking for a magic trick he just wanted the dog that's all he had no strings attached it wasn't like it had to happen a certain way it had to happen at a certain time it had to happen no he just wanted the dog and he just left it at that he didn't get all frantic about it. He didn't get all upset. He just imagined the dog. That simple. And he gave the, the, the universe every opportunity to deliver the dog that he needed to have. And the universe found a way to actually set up a scenario in which his parents would accept the dog. Yeah, which is so great. Yeah. That's the big lesson, <laughs> the I think. Too. Yeah. And it was a collie. I as love that. As, <laughs> as I was wanting an ex back, I think it's important to remember that there are two people that each have exactly. a will of their own. And that, you know, my big question always to someone that wants their ex back, um, and, and you know, the scenarios are always so different because sometimes there's just tension and strife and they both still love each other, but they just can't seem to make it work. But mm -hmm. other times the ex has said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Right. I'm done. I'm moving on. And in that case, my big question is always, why do you want to be with someone that doesn't want to be with you. Exactly. And I asked that question out of experience of having, uh, having had this experience myself and being told by my, my then husband that he didn't want to be married anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was very, very difficult for me. And I, I went through and I was very good at using the law of attraction. And I thought, I can use the law of attraction. <laughs> right. But it didn't seem to be working. Mm -hmm. And it worked so easily for me for everything else. Yep. And at that point, that's when I asked myself this question. Uh, it sort of feels like it was a higher self, a higher, wiser self question because it came out of nowhere because I was brainstorming. What can I do? What can I do for this to work out? Suddenly, the question was, why do you want to be with someone who doesn't want to yes, be with you? Yes, exactly. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, and I realized in that moment and, you know, having that epiphany really freed me up because suddenly I realized, oh, my goodness, I want to be with someone that's crazy about me. I yes. want to be with someone that can't get enough of me. I want to be with someone that loves me and wants to spend time with me and thinks I'm, a, you know, a great 
person. I don't want to be with someone that doesn't want to be with me. That's right. And, and believe me, I am. I got married last month. That's right. Hooray. Um, and, um, and it is much better to be with someone who wants to be with you. And can so it be that same person? Yeah, of course it can be that same person. But what you don't want to do is to get into the mindset that says, that person's perfect for me. And even though he doesn't want me, I want him back. Because that's setting yourself up for a miserable situation. Because even if you manage to get him back, you're getting him back in a state where he doesn't want to be with you. Why would right. you want so to do that to yourself? <laughs> right. Then you're going to go through the whole scenario again. And just realize, replaying it, yeah. You know, and some, some people do, and sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes, yeah, that's true. People replay it. it. Takes, okay, why did, I, why did I think this would work? <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah, okay. very good stuff. <laughs> I'm going to remember this story next time I see one of those uh, requests on on, uh, on the uh, uh, the Facebook groups. <laughs> Let's see where we are. Oh, we have time for another one. Yeah, we got time. Okay, this was, it says, this was told by the aunt in the story to the entire audience at the conclusion of one of my lectures. Do you notice that there's connectivity going on here? Everybody knows everybody else who's, who these stories are involved with. There, there's There's a message in there. And the message, I think, is, as people begin to understand this, they share it with those they're closest to, and and the understanding starts to spread. Yeah. I think that Neville at this time was giving lectures, and people would bring their friends as well. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. So there's actually uh, good reason for us to want everybody to share the fact they're listening to LOA today. We want it to spread. That's how it happens. It is. Right? Yeah. During the question period following my lecture on the Law of Assumption, a lady who had attended many lectures and had had personal consultation with me on a number of occasions rose and asked permission to tell a story illustrating how she had successfully used the law. She said that upon returning home from the lecture the week before, she had found her niece distressed and terribly upset. The husband of the niece, who was an officer in the Army Air Force stationed in Atlantic City, had just been ordered, along with the rest of his unit, to active duty in Europe. Oh. She tearfully told her aunt that the reason she was upset was that she had been hoping her husband would be assigned to Florida as an instructor. They both loved Florida and were anxious to be stationed there and not to be separated. Mm -hmm. Upon hearing this story, the aunt stated that there was only one thing to do, and that was to apply immediately the law of assumption. Let's actualize it, she said. If you were actually in Florida, what would you do? You would feel the warm breeze. You would smell the salt air. You would feel your toes sinking down into the sand. Well, let's do that right now. They took off their shoes, and turning out the lights in imagination, they felt themselves actually in Florida, feeling the warm breeze, smelling the sea air, pushing their toes into the sand. Forty-eight hours later, the husband received a change of orders. His new instructions were to report immediately to Florida as an Air Force instructor. <laughs> Five days later, his wife was on a train to join him. While the aunt, in order to help her niece to attain her desire, joined in with the niece in assuming the state of consciousness required, she did not go to Florida. That was not her desire. On the other hand, it was the intense longing of the niece. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You hear it? You see again? We have the senses brought into the work. Right. Yeah, those Going senses are critical. Air, toes in the sand. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really a key here that we need to be aware of. <laughs> Feeling the warm breeze. That I mean, whenever I think about the senses, yeah, we all we all have five senses. For me, I focus on the ones that I experience the best, and for me, those are sound and feel. And so when I when I read there, or when you read it out loud, feel the breeze. I felt the breeze. In fact, I was when when you were describing smelling the 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 salt air, the the sea salt air. I was actually right. hearing the breaking of the ocean on the land. That was my way of, of connecting to it. I actually could hear it better than I was seeing it. And I say that as a reminder that whatever your strongest senses are, do it in your strongest senses, because those are the ones that are going to be easiest to tap into and to make the seal the, the scene real in your mind. That's what I found, anyway. Yeah, I always do that, too. I, I have a tendency when I'm putting a scene together to ask myself, 
you know, what would I be hearing? Right. What would I be seeing? What would I be feeling? Um, and I always like to remember hands and feet. You know, it's like they were feeling their toes in the sand. I imagine when the little boy was imagining the dog that he could be imagining hands and feet. You know, the, the dog's lead in the hand and his feet yeah. on the pavement or on the path. Right. Um, because for me, those are easy things mm -hmm. to imagine. Yep. Yeah, so go Very with the easiest nice. ones. And notice this was 48 hours. Yeah, it was quick. I mean, they didn't and have to be persistent for two years like the last story. This one was pretty quick. Right, and I can't remember the dog story, but I think it was weeks. So, you know, it was, it's yeah. persistence is, is the key here, and it, it may take longer than you want, but <laughs> be persistent. Yep, and it was. It said That's, within a few weeks, so the dog story was a few weeks. Yeah. So this next story, it says, this case is especially interesting because of the short interval of time. Oh, that's funny. We're just talking about the time. There we go. Uh, the short interval of time between the application of this law of assumption and its visible manifestation. A very prominent woman came to me in deep concern. She maintained a lovely city apartment and a large country home. But because the many demands made upon her were greater than her modest income, it was absolutely essential that she rent her apartment if she and her family were to spend the summer at their country home. Mm. In previous years, the apartment had been rented without difficulty early in the spring, but the day she came to me, the rental season for summer sublets was over. Ooh. The apartment had been in the hands of the best real estate agent for months, but no one had been interested even in coming to see it. Wow. When she had described her predicament, I explained how the law of assumption could be brought to bear on solving her problem. I suggested that by imagining the apartment had been rented by a person desiring immediate occupancy, and by assuming that this was the case, her apartment actually would be rented. In order to create the necessary feeling of naturalness, the feeling that it was already a fact that her apartment was rented, I suggested that she drift off into sleep that very night, imagining herself not in the apartment, but in whatever place she would sleep where the apartment suddenly rented. Right. She, she quickly grasped the idea and said that in such a situation, she would sleep in her country home, even though it was not yet open for the summer. This interview took place on a Thursday. At 9 o'clock the following Saturday morning, she phoned me from her home in the country, excited and happy. <laughs> told me that on Thursday night, she had fallen asleep, actually imagining and feeling that she was sleeping in her other bed in her country home many miles away from the city apartment she was occupying. On Friday, the very next day, a highly desirable tenant, one who met all of her requirements as a responsible person, not only rented the apartment, but rented it on the condition that he could move in that very day. <laughs> That's fabulous. That is fabulous. Oh, gotta love it. Gotta love it. Oh. The universe you know, is so good. <laughs> the universe is so <laughs> able to deliver exactly what we need if we just let it in with our belief system. There it is, perfect, exactly the way she needed it. Oh. And at, at the beginning of it, of this story, when he says she was in deep concern, um, mm -hmm. it reminds me of some of the stories that we've talked about where about passion and speed, um, right. about us us having an a strong emotion attached, mm -hmm. a passionate emotion attached. Um, having some kind of effect on the speed with which this works. It does. And I, I kind of uh, see that in this story. She was, it was very important that it happened quickly, so she had a deep concern about it. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and the only thing that we have to really remember, I think where, I, I call that passion, having a passion for something, a strong emotional feeling for it. The only thing to, to keep in mind is we want to make sure that our passion is as much as we can make it in alignment with the thing that we want. Because she could easily have turned that concern into doubt. And now all of a sure. sudden, her passion is working against herself. Right. You know, but as long as she turns it into what it is she's actually wanting and, and, and you know, trying to actually draw into her life and accept and receive, it's going to it's going to make it happen really quickly. And it sure did. The next morning, that's pretty quick. Well, I think about the scaling question um, we talked about before. So... Asking a client, right, on a scale of 1 to 10, 
um, how committed are you to having this happen or mm -hmm. how, how, right? How much do you want this to happen or whatever? And, you know, I've had, I've had actually had a client say to me before after telling me they wanted a certain thing and me asking that question saying, uh, I guess I'm about a five. I guess I don't want it as much as I thought. Mm -hmm. Other people say, oh, it's a 10. I believe this woman would have been, it's a 10. I need this to happen. It needs to happen now, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, and, but you're right. We don't want to get attachment involved where we're so attached to the outcome. So there's a delicate balance there. There is. And also, it's not like if you're feeling as a five that you're dead in the water. That's the other thing to remember. We can build the passion up. We can yes. build the excitement up. It's not like, oh, I'm only a five. Well, I might as well just throw the dream away. No, that's not the way it works. It just means you just haven't built it up big enough yet. That's all. You can still build it up. Most that's the, the whole point of the most exercise. Of the time, most of the time when someone is there, there, there is something else they want more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes they're um, not willing to or haven't been willing to admit it. Because maybe they doubt and don't think it could happen. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, yeah there's often a lot of digging around that happens there until we get to what the intention is. <laughs> and, that, and that comes out as we build it up. I mean, let's say we're at a five and we start building it up by focusing on the thing, focusing on the thing. The more that we focus on it, the more likely that hidden thing is going to come out. And once it comes out yes. and we deal with it, all of a sudden we have the breakthrough. And that's when we can make the adjustments. Yes. You know, to to what what it is we're imagining. So let's see. We've got time for one more, shall we? Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I think everybody else is too. <laughs> so, yeah, let's do it. Only the most complete and intense use of the law of assumption could have produced such results in this extreme situation. Four years ago, a friend of our family asked that I talk with his 28-year-old son who was not expected to live. Oof. He was suffering from a rare heart disease. This disease resulted in a disintegration of the organ. Oof. Long and costly medical care had been of no avail. Doctors held out no hope for recovery. For a long time, the son had been confined to his bed. His body had shrunk to almost a skeleton, and he could talk and breathe only with great difficulty. His wife and two small children were home when I called, and his wife was present throughout our discussion. I started by telling him that there was only one solution to any problem, and that solution was a change of attitude. Since talking exhausted him, I asked him to nod in agreement if he understood clearly what I said. This he agreed to do. I described the facts underlying the law of consciousness. In fact, that consciousness was the only reality. I told him that the way to change any condition was to change his state of consciousness concerning it. As a specific aid in helping him to assume the feeling of already being well, I suggested that in imagination he see the doctor's face expressing incredulous amazement in finding him recovered, contrary to all reason, from the last stages of an incurable disease, that he see him double-checking in his examination and hearing him say over and over, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. <laughs> He not only understood all this clearly, but he believed it implicitly. He promised that he would faithfully follow this procedure. His wife, who had been listening intently, assured me that she too would diligently use the law of assumption and her imagination in the same way as her husband. The following day, I sailed for New York, all this taking place during a winter vacation in the tropics. Several months later, I received a letter saying the son had made a miraculous recovery. On my next visit, I met him in person. He was in perfect health, actively engaged in business, and thoroughly enjoying the many social activities of his friends and family. He told me that from the day I left, he never had any doubt that it would work. He described how he had faithfully followed the suggestion I had made to him, and day after day had lived completely in the assumption of already being well and strong. Now, four years after his recovery, he is convinced that the only reason he is here today is due to his successful use of the law of assumption. I love stories like that. I just love those. Oh, that is so I, cool. I think the thing I love most about this story so much is that, and we've had this discussion over and over, that it's one of the hardest things to imagine being well when you're feeling bad. Absolutely, yeah. And so I was like, 
how, how is he going to imagine? I mean, this guy is like at death's door. And how is he going to imagine feeling well? I love what they came up with. Yeah. I love Neville's idea of imagining the doctor's face. <laughs> imagining the doctor being shocked and saying, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. That's fantastic. I think he actually underplayed it in the story, but he, he did say that from day one, from moment number one, the uh, the patient believed completely that it right. was going to work. And that's really what it is. I mean, if you believe it, that's what's going to sustain you even in the darkest hour. That That's the theme that Joel keeps telling me about, Joel Elston, who does the Thursday morning podcast with me. He over and over again tells stories about people who have been in horrible, struggling circumstances. But because of those struggles, they those struggled circumstances become platforms for these gigantic leaps ahead in their lives in ways that, they, that people couldn't possibly have assumed were going to happen. And yet they happen. Mm-hmm. And it happened to him too, personally. I mean, he was in like about as low as you can get in life, and it turned into a magnificent career with that being the springboard for it. So uh, I actually think in one sense, I don't think anybody really wants to get to the point where their bodies are so emaciated from a dread disease that the doctors say is going to kill you and there's nothing that they can do about it. Nobody really wants that to be their platform. But if you are there, it can be your platform. And that's what he decided. He decided that, day, you know what, I'm not ready to die yet. I'm ready to live. And because of that, I believe this. And in his belief, yeah. he made it true. Yeah, and it was um, stated at the very beginning, right, that said that he that he not only understood it, but that he implicitly believed implicitly, it. Implicitly, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. he did. That's amazing. I it's love amazing. this story. It's amazing. It's I inspiring, always, too. Yeah, I always like ideas for mm-hmm. the vignettes. Yes. <laughs> well, they help. And, and, <laughs> right, and the one, the one for physical healing always seems really the hardest one for me because trying to imagine your body feeling great when your body's not feeling great is mm. not an easy task. No, it takes a lot so of I like that he brought other people into the imaginal space. Yes. Imagined the doctor. I'm like, that's perfect because mm. that is easily to imagine, easily imagined over the, over the idea of having to imagine my body feels well when it really hurts. Right. So, and, and I like the fact the that the wife, as well. yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say too. The fact that she jumped in and she said, "You know, I'm going to imagine this too." Now we just multiplied the the the, the, the imaginative power going on, and that power is pretty strong, pretty darn strong. Yeah, so that's a good thing to remember is that when we do have someone that's that's tr- trusted, you know, someone that does support our vision, uh, literally. <laughs> Um, they can join us in this work. Absolutely. Yeah. And it works. It's effective. Louise and I pr- proved that to ourselves very recently with her medical condition. And it made a huge yeah. difference. And she is now on her way to recovery. She's got a ways to go, but she's recovering. That's a cool thing. Excellent. <laughs> hey, before well, we... I think we'll leave these other two stories for, yeah. for, this, uh, for this afternoon. Absolutely. Before we uh, uh, pass on for this episode, though, I want to make sure I give you the opportunity to tell people how they can reach out to you because, I mean, you you are one of the best life coaches I know, and uh, there are probably listeners who want to know how to reach out to you. How do they find you? Well, I would love for them to reach out to me. They can find me at my website, cindychavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z.com. There's a contact form there. Uh, you can email me at cindy at cindychavez.com. Or you can find me on social media. Uh, I generally answer email quicker than I will. Sometimes I don't see Facebook messages. So um, probably reaching me through my contact form is the quickest way. But you can also give me a shout on Twitter and say hello if you want to say hello. <laughs> sure. Or find me wherever you find me. But that's how, like, that's how to reach out to me. And that I would great. love if you would do that. Let me know how you're enjoying the show. Let me know if there's a way I can help you. Excellent. Well, then we'll leave it at that. And I'll say that I look forward to talking to you later this afternoon on the same subject. I will be back. All right. I'll be back, too. We hope that you join us as well next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.